Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Tuesday, April the 4th, 2023. It is currently 10.14 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, I get a lot of emails, and many times people will email me, ask me a theological question. I try to to get to those as soon as I possibly can. Sometimes people send me sermons or podcast episodes to review, and that is what has occurred this evening. But, well, actually the email came in a few days ago, but that's what's going to happen this evening is I'm going to review a sermon that someone asked me to review. But if I look at all of my emails, there is a, there's always a a joy, kind of an excitement. It kind of feels good that people would email me and ask me theological questions or or, or, or share things that they're struggling with because it gives me an opportunity to feel like I'm trying to help someone, that I'm trying my very best to, to alleviate a problem, to give advice, to give counsel, to offer a theological perspective, to offer scripture, whatever the case may be. It does feel good because I think it's true of any pastor or even a Christian podcaster. You get into any form of ministry whether it's podcasting, whether it's preaching, whether it's teaching, whether it's a Sunday school teacher, whether it's a pastor, because you really have this desire to help people, to assist people, to try to hopefully some way, shape, or form make things better for them. I think that that's really a desire. And sometimes it can become very frustrating being a pastor because either One, sometimes you don't feel like people ever really come to you with any actual need. They just come to you with complaints or or disagreements. That can at times become troubling and and just make you weary and make you discouraged. Like, could someone, you're like, no one ever calls you with encouragement and no one ever calls you sometimes to really seek advice and counsel. Every once in a while, you'll get those, but you definitely will get the phone calls of, I disagree and I don't like this and I don't like that. You, you'll, you'll get those. So sometimes that can be frustrating as a pastor. Now, from my experience, for the most part, things have been pretty good for me, but others have definitely expressed their frustration, frustrations and struggles in ministry. Either they've told me or I've read them in books or sermons or whatever the case may be where they express some of those things. But kind of a new frustration, a new discouragement has, I think, in some ways risen in my life. And it's been there off and on. I guess it kind of comes and it goes. There's times I get very, very frustrated with with it. And there's times I'm just kind of like, okay, well, that's just the way it is. And I kind of accept it. And then the next thing you know, I'm like, I can't stand this one more minute. I quit. I retire. I'm done. And that is this very difficult reality. The reality is for every question, for every sermon, for anything people email me or call me or ask me about, I know that whatever perspective I offer I'm going to be offering a perspective most likely different or contrary to the sermon they're sending me, or I'm going to be answering the theological question that I immediately know is going to go against, well, a different perspective or a different side. So I say all of that to say that this new thing, and when I say new, it's an ongoing thing. Let me say it that way. That has brought me so much frustration and discouragement and depression in my Christian life is the ever-present reality 
that nobody agrees on anything within the Christian world. Nothing. I know when I say that many Christians get very bothered by that, but just come on, guys. Let's just be honest, right? I don't know where you're listening. I don't know if anybody's listening live this evening, but I don't care where you live. At times, does it not just bring you to the point of just you want to throw up your hands and like, like, we, we've been working on the subject of baptism, right? Isn't it absolutely startling, shocking, and frustrating that if you take all the scriptures on baptism, all the ones that actually mention baptism or show a baptism, like we went through all of them. We went from Matthew to Revelation at my church, everything that mentioned baptism. And isn't it not utterly just mind-blowing that if you just take what's actually in scripture, there's your, your doctrine of baptism. I mean, there's only, you, you would think there would only be a couple of issues we would be struggling with, but somehow people can take the Bible and end up with when a baby is eight days old, you put water on its head and boom, it becomes a Christian. Or you put water on the baby's head at eight days old and boom, they become a member of the visible church. Or you put water and you boom, you put the mark of the covenant and you're like, where does this come from? And of course, they will say, because you just don't understand how to read your Bible. And, and they will disagree. Uh, uh, just the meaning of the word baptizo. You would think anyone should be able to understand the meaning of the word. But no, 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 no. You say it means immersion. They'll be like, well, it doesn't always mean immersion because the Bible does allow for spring. What are you talking about? And it's just so frustrating. We, we've we've uh, looked at this uh, just in the last few days. And we've talked about it before. How is it possible that no one can agree over the meaning of the word repentance? We looked up the Greek word. It seems pretty clear, but we did a sermon review once again. Well, a sermon review on baptism where it became all about repentance. And they mentioned every way they defined repentance. Every way had no connection. It was, it was almost like it was separate from the actual definition we were reading in, say, Strong's definition or, or in the interlinear, um, any of the lexicons, anything that we were looking at, any of the Greek tools was giving us this definition and the sermon was giving us a completely different. I'm like, how can we disagree on the, on the meaning of the word baptism or the meaning of the word repentance. If we can't even within Christianity agree on the meaning of the word baptism and the word repentance, where is there ever going to be agreement ever on anything? I mean, at some point, I just want to just, I just want to throw every, just throw everything and just like, you know what? I mean, literally it just doesn't matter. Whatever I say, there'll be something like, he's wrong, he's wrong, he's wrong. It, we don't agree on anything within Christianity. You, 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 you can work through a text of scripture, offer an interpretation, and what do you get? Nope, 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 no. Nope. And it's just like, oh, I, I, I just, I don't understand. I don't understand. So again, I go through these, I, I want to, I hope you understand. I go through these ups and downs. Like sometimes I get frustrated by it. Sometimes I'm just like, that's just the way it is. Come on, guys, let's dig in. And then I just, I get, you know, I just get excited about the scriptures and the things of God and just focus on that. And then times I'll just get like, man, what am I doing? What, 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 what am I even accomplishing? So I go through these ups and downs and I mention all of this. I spend, I've spent eight minutes mentioning this because someone emailed me. They're trying to find a church. They're finding it difficult. And they said, well, this church preached a, a sermon, and it looks like it's a series of sermons, on the assurance of salvation. And I'm like, oh, boy. 
Because once again, there's a disagreement in the world of Christianity. I know, shocking. We can't even agree on assurance. And what do we mean by assurance? How can you be assured that you are truly saved? How can you be assured that you you are truly saved? Where does assurance come from? Now, immediately people go, well, you go to 1 John, you take a test. If you pass the test, dun, dun, da, da, you are assured of Christianity. But then that would mean, well, I'm only assured at only one moment. I can only be assured that I'm saved right now. I may not be assured tomorrow. And not only that, my assurance then would be based on what I'm doing. You say, no, that's what's God doing through you. But I would still be looking to my actions. And then whenever you see people give 1 John as a test, they always it's such a kind of a, a bait and switch kind of game, right? The bait is, here's the test. You have to pass the test. But, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I mean, you don't actually have to pass it perfectly. I mean, as long as you're kind of going in the right, as long as you're kind of, and it's like, wait a minute, the test seems very clear. Do this or you are not saved. Do this or you're not a child of God. Do this or you're in darkness. It seems like so just like blatant, and we come along, no, 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 it can't, it can't mean that because nobody does it perfectly. Then you're like, wait a minute. So I'm supposed to get assurance by looking at a test that I'm never going to pass perfectly, but as long as I get like a 40 or a 50, I'm good enough to, it, it's just so crazy. But a lot of people will, will like, how do you get assurance? You look to your life. You look at the good you're doing and the bad you're doing, and that's where assurance comes from. Some of us are like, that's ridiculous because you'll never find assurance because God demands perfection. And if you look to your life, you're going to only see imperfection. Even, even if you do your best, it's nothing more than filthy rags before a holy God because God demands a personal, perfect, exact, entire, perpetual obedience. He desires you be perfect as your heavenly father in heaven is perfect. He desires you, he demands that you be holy as he is holy. You're never going to live up to that. So looking to your life for assurance, to me, seems a, a fool's errand. It seems just, it's flawed from the very beginning. I would say, don't look to yourself. If I want assurance of salvation, I look to Christ. I looked at his perfect righteousness, his obedience, his shed blood. And because by faith, while well, my sins are all washed away and forgiven, well, if all my sins are forgiven, how could I ever not have assurance? You say, well, you committed 18 sins and they've all been paid for by Christ. So how could I ever lose assurance? Oh, by the way, his righteousness has been imputed to me. Oh, his obedience has been imputed to me. That's where I look for assurance. But we can't agree on that within Christianity. And that's very frustrating. That's very frustrating. I wish we there could be agreement, but there's not. So I'm going to review this sermon. I would just say to the individuals who emailed me, I won't go into all the details or read the email. I would just say, look, here's the, here's the reality within Christianity. I don't care what church you go to. You're going to have to just acknowledge, most likely, you're not going to agree with everything. And I know that's frustrating, right? Because how is it that no matter what no matter what church people go to, they always find something they disagree with, meaning that we can't ever agree on anything within Christianity. People all the time are like, well, I go to this church, but it's it does this or it does this. I, I, I don't. Yeah. The only way to make everyone happy within Christianity is everyone has their own church and they're the only members. Okay. That's the only way. Or or you just have to say, theology doesn't matter. Let's not worry about doctrine. 
Let's just love one another, build good friendships, and not really worry about the text. Then, then you can make it work. But it's the reality of it. But I'm interested to see where this goes. So we're going to jump in. I know this is a late night uh, broadcast. It's 10.26 p.m. Central Time in here, here in West Texas. Um, but I, I wanted to at least get started on this. I wanted to, um, I wanted to finish like maybe... Uh, I don't know how many of these messages. I think I don't. I think maybe there's three messages or four messages in this series. I'd have to find the link again. Uh, I have the email where the link is. But I'm just gonna. We're gonna just review. I don't. We may review all of them, and um, and we'll just turn this into our own series on assurance. I've got a number of messages on assurance. Um, typically, whenever I deal with the subject, I have to be in First John, and we've li- we've reviewed some of those sermons. So I don't know if this is going to be. In the general direction, I don't know. Um, I think the person sent me like part three to review, but I'm like, why? Let's just go back to part one. So we're just going to go back to part one and we'll just start reviewing them over the next few days. And, and you know, hopefully we can benefit on this. A lot of this is going to have lots of uh, connection to our discussion on law and gospel. Um, but I, I, I well... I don't actually, to be honest, I don't really know. I'm, I'm doing a lot of guessing and, and just make sure for those who don't know, when we do a sermon review, I don't listen to the sermon in advance because I don't want it to come across as rehearsed. Like, Ooh, this sermon is trash. I'm going to turn on the microphone to trash it. No, this may turn out to be the best sermon I've ever heard on assurance in the history of humankind. I don't know if it's going to be good or I don't know if it's going to be bad. I just know that immediately when you deal with assurance, no matter what I say, I'm going to come in conflict with someone, right? If I say assurance is only found in the finished work of Jesus Christ, I'm going to get emails from people going, no, you have to look to your life. And if I was to say, you have to look to your life, I would get emails from people saying, no, you have to look to Jesus Christ. So whenever you do a theological podcast, you always know that 50% of your audience is going to disagree with you. So that's, that's always good. It's always good. Like, uh, what do you do? I do a theology podcast where 50% of my audience always tells me that I'm wrong. Okay, that's 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 a that's a wonderful uh world to be in right but i am going to review this because someone asked me to and i hope that it's beneficial our goal in sermon reviews is really just what we hope to do is not just i i don't my goal is never to point out how bad the sermon is per se right sometimes that happens but my goal really is to say okay here's their perspective all right guys forget that pastor forget that church Let's dig into this theological issue. Let's deal with this hermeneutical issue. Let's deal with this text. Like I I just use the sermon sometimes to really get into a textual discussion, a hermeneutical discussion, a, a preaching discussion, and forget whoever originally preached the sermon. That's why I typically don't mention names. I don't mention churches because I'm not trying to attack anyone. I'm not trying to embarrass anyone. I'm not trying to humiliate anyone. I'm not trying to do anything like that. In some cases, the sermon reviews are simply because, well, huh, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to listen to a sermon. I can either listen to the sermon sitting down in my media room, laying on the couch, or I can just walk out of the room, down the hallway, through the living room, into the kitchen, to the door, walk upstairs and sit down here and go, hey, I'm going to listen to a sermon. Let's let's listen to it together. And then we do it that way. So that that's really the goal here, because I think some people think that, oh, he just picks really bad sermons. I didn't pick this sermon. Someone emailed it to me. I haven't listened to it. Could be bad. Could be good. 
Sometimes we're done with a sermon review and this is how, how I feel when I get to the end. Well, that was a waste of my life <laughs> like because I, I didn't even really have anything constructive to say, but hopefully this will be good. I did not amplify uh, the audio uh, and I have not tested it. So hopefully it is loud enough. If for some reason it's not, if it, if it is loud enough and you're listening to me live tonight and you're listening on the Spreaker app, give me a thumbs up. And if it's not loud enough, give me a thumbs down and then we will, well, I won't be able to correct it right now, but we'll try to amplify it tomorrow if we need be. But hopefully it's at least sufficient. All right, here we go. I have no idea what state this church is located in. I have no idea which city this church is located in. I don't know anything. I don't know if this is a reformed. I, I do think, I do believe it. I do believe it's a church that holds to the London Baptist Confession. I do, I think that much I do know, which we hold to, but it'll be amazing how we hold to it in a sense that we say, here's kind of a theological guiding point of where we, we start off with. Uh, but um, ultimately we, we're not, we don't feel like we're bound by any confession or creed. We use the confessions and creeds, but we believe we're bound by scripture just so that you kind of get our, where we, how we approach it kind of a little bit differently than I think some, but here we go. Are you ready? 18 minutes, just an introduction. But here, we, but I think that introduction is important to, to express just my frustration. You know, I just wish that I could just stand and preach and, and just do podcast and everybody would just be like, yeah, sure. I agree. 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 Wouldn't it be great that, because Christ, isn't Christianity hard enough just trying to live it out? fighting against sin, fighting against your own desires, trying to please God, trying to put God first. Don't we have all of these other things to fight about? And then on top of that, we got to add, well, nobody agrees on what this text actually means. Isn't that like, it just seems like we got enough issues to struggle with adding the fact that nobody can agree on anything just seems to, just seems to be maddening to me, but here we go. Are you ready? I hope so. I'm giving you a second. I, I was going to tell you which book to turn. I don't even know where to tell you to turn in your Bibles. Have a Bible, have a notebook, have a pencil, and let's have a late night sermon review. And we begin now. Good to see you folks this uh, Lord's Day morning. Hopefully you have a, a copy of notes in front of you that say uh, of the assurance of grace and salvation. I want to encourage you to turn um, in your Bibles this morning to 1 John chapter 5. Excuse me, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. 1 John 5 and then verse 13. Well, we know we, we, it didn't take us long to get to 1 John, did it? It didn't take us get to, uh, long to get us to 1 John. Everybody goes to 1 John. 1 John 5, 13. Here we go. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And that becomes the key verse and everybody then interprets everything here as a test to see if you are saved. I believe 1 John is a polemic against Gnosticism. I believe that this is an issue that either you're, you're either following the Gnostic gospel, which is a completely false gospel, or you're understanding the true gospel and believing those things that would be more in line with the true gospel. But not everyone believes that. Uh, there's lots of arguments about uh, Some people believe it's a polemic against Gnosticism and then seems to abandon that in their interpreting of the book. But I, I digress. All right. So here we go. 
John 5.13, kind of a, a key verse in this particular letter. We'll be talking a bit more about it this morning. Um, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And let us pray. Father, thank you so much this morning for the assembly of the saints, and we thank you that we can begin this day, the Lord's Day, by coming together and fellowshipping and and worshiping you and praising you and delighting in thee. And uh, these moments, I would pray for the help of your Holy Spirit uh, as I just bring forth uh, some thoughts related to this particular theme. I pray that you would empower me and help me to represent um, your truth as it relates to assurance of salvation. I, I pray that you would work in all of our hearts and enlighten our minds to understand your word and um, give it. This is one of those situations that puts me outside of Christianity in the sense that I immediately find myself ostracized by everyone. But when I hear those kinds of prayers, I'm sorry. I just utterly just become exhausted. Just think about it. Christians everywhere pray the same thing. God, help me understand. God, illuminate us. God, show us. God, guide us. God, empower us to understand. Well, if all Christians are praying that, then how do we end up with 57,000 different interpretations, thousands and thousands of denominations, and nobody can agree on anything? Lord, illuminate my mind. Show me what what the text means. But Nobody can agree on baptism. Nobody can agree on the Lord's Supper. Nobody can agree on salvation. Nobody can agree on anything. So at some point, you have to either realize, wait a minute, either the Holy Spirit is helping us or he's not helping us. (laughs) I mean, something's desperately wrong there. Lord, illuminate our minds so that we can understand. Well, then if you come to a conclusion about assurance and I come to a different conclusion about assurance, Which one is the Holy Spirit illuminating? Me or you? I'm going to say it's me. You're not listening to the, or or he's not illuminating you, or you're rejecting his illumination, but he illuminated me. And I understand who, like you can, you can, have you ever been in, in, in a city? And, I, and here in, uh, in, in, in the West Texas area where I am, there's a couple of, of situations where it's just so crazy. You'll see like a church here and then literally right across the street, another church. Two churches right across the street from one another, and they don't agree on like anything theologically, completely different theological systems. But both of them, the pastors will be standing in the pulpit saying, Lord, open our eyes today, illuminate us, guide us into all truth. And you're like, well, somebody then should leave their church and go across the street to the other church because both churches can't be right. I, I, I know it's a common prayer. I know it's a common prayer. But at some point, does anybody's like, I just don't get it. We all keep praying for the Holy Spirit to show us truth. But, you know, and what happens if ever, just think what happens. If I pray that, Lord, sh- you know, illuminate our mind, show us truth. What happens when someone in your church says, "I you're wrong, and then they leave your church? Did they reject, did they leave because they got the illumination and you didn't get the illumination? Or did they leave because they rejected the, like, who was illuminated in that situation? And that happens all the time. People go to a church and then they leave the church. Why they leave? Well, because, but I thought the pastor was praying that God illuminates all of our minds. Well, then who didn't get illuminated? 
The ones who stayed or the one who left? Yeah, I know most people, this doesn't bother, but it just drives me crazy. All right, I'm going to back it up a little bit. Here we go. We can begin this day, the Lord's Day, by coming together and fellowshipping and, and worshiping you and praising you and delighting in thee. And uh, these moments, I would pray for the help of your Holy Spirit uh, as I just bring forth uh, some thoughts related to this particular theme. I pray that you would empower me and help me to represent um your truth as it relates to assurance of salvation. I, I pray that you would work in all of our hearts and enlighten our minds to understand your word and um, give us insight into our own particular situation and walk. See, enlighten our minds so we can understand your word. Well, what happens if we if I come to a different conclusion than you? How does that work? Some people say, well, what do you, what do you, how do you understand that scripture that says the Holy Spirit will lead them into all truth? It's referencing the disciples and those who wrote the scriptures. He led them into all truth, meaning the words that we have in, in, in the inspired scripture is true. That, that's, that's, that's the only way I can understand it because he's not leading us into all truth when we have thousands of different denominations and groups and nobody can agree on anything. Someone doesn't have the truth with thee and we just pray that you would be exalted uh, during our time uh, together now and throughout this morning and we ask these things in jesus name amen well this is uh, i've jumped ahead this morning to this is the, the 18th chapter uh, of the confession uh, it's on assurance of salvation and we've been in chapter six uh, considering the fall of man and then the next chapter is um, chapter seven of god's covenant and uh, Brother Carlton is going to be teaching on that in April. And uh, then, um, oh, keep the notes. Keep the notes. They're free today. Next time? I don't know. We, you know but um, keep these because um, next week uh, is prayer. The week after that, Scott Bills is teaching. And the week after that, we'll be back. And so you've you got to hold on to these notes for at least two weeks. And- um, it's interesting. I'm assuming this is like their Sunday school hour. But, man. This, the message, the lesson is going to be like 29, 28 minutes long. I don't, man, that's, all I can say is mad respect. I couldn't do that. You, you ever heard one of our Sunday school hours? <laughs> it always goes over an hour, right? Like I'm supposed, we start at 10. I'm supposed to be done like at 1050 so that people can walk into the sanctuary, and, you know, greet one another. And then we're supposed to get, in fact, I probably should be done at 1045, so that people got 15 minutes and then we can get started right at 11 for the morning worship. But if you've ever noticed, we start the morning worship like at 11. I don't know. Sometimes it's like 1130 because I, I've gone so long in, in the Sunday school hour. So, um, man, if you can do a Sunday school lesson in 29 minutes, all I can say is, wow, I, I don't even know how that's humanly possible, especially you're dealing with the London Baptist Confession of Faith. So I'm interested to see what he can pull off in like 29 minutes. Well, I'm assuming he's going to have a concluding prayer. So probably about 28 minutes, maybe, maybe 27 minutes. Let's see. And uh, we'll, be, we'll be back um, in, in March 19th. And then, um, okay. Um, so 18th chapter, it deals with the, the theme of uh, assurance of salvation, the title of the assurance of grace and salvation. It consists of four paragraphs. Um, and assurance of salvation is one of those uh, subjects that uh, immediately, I, I think, commends itself to our thinking process. 
um, in terms of being very important because it directly deals with the salvation of our soul. So it's, it's a very compelling theme. And, uh, you know, just by way of testimony over the years, I've observed some folks that, uh, from my perspective, very spiritually minded and, and serious about their, their faith and their love for Christ. But yet they, they've struggled with this area of assurance of, of salvation. And from my perspective, I- you know why people struggle with their assurance of salvation? Because Christians keep telling them that their assurance of salvation is based on what they do and don't do. (laughs) And if anyone is even remotely honest with themselves about what's going on in their minds and their hearts and their emotions, if they're even remotely honest, they're going to be like, Woe is me, I am undone, because they know deep down the sin they crave, they desire, they know how they think, they know their feelings, they know their actions when nobody is looking. So they would be, anyone who's even remotely like, okay, so here's the test. I'm supposed to love God with all my heart, mind, body, and soul. I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. I'm supposed to be holy as God is holy. Okay, well, I fell. But for some weird reason, some people get the test and they're like, I'm good. I'm good. I do this. And others are like, nobody does this. So why some people have a lack of assurance is because we've told them to look to everything other than the perfect finished work of Jesus Christ for assurance. You see, this is what I say. You want to look for assurance by looking to yourself. Congratulations. I'll be over here. I'm going to look to Jesus. I'm going to look to his righteousness, which is imputed to me by faith. I'm going to look to his shed blood, which washes away all of my sin. I'm going to look to his passive and active obedience, which is imputed to my account. I'm going to look to him. It is perfect. He said, hanging on the cross, it is finished. It is done. It is finished. It is complete. The work of salvation is done, and he accomplished all of it on my behalf. And I am saved by faith alone. So I am not looking to my works to pr- to give me assurance of what he accomplished. That's, that's my take. I know that not most are going to disagree with me. This is my, my feelings today is this is the way I look at it now. I don't even want to argue. You go look to yourself and pat yourself on the back thinking that you're better and that you're good enough to prove that you're saved. But one day, maybe you're going to wake up and look in the mirror and realize man, I sure have been doing a lot of pretending. And I don't think I'm as godly as I thought I was, as holy as I thought as I was. And when you find yourself then fearful and have no assurance, I'll point you to the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's my, that's my approach. Oh, I always want to be careful because there's that passage in the Old Testament about saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. But it's always been an encouragement to me when somebody is concerned about the, the salvation of their souls. On the other hand, there's others who uh, don't, don't seem to be as concerned about that. They, they tend to take it for granted, and um, that is a bit more uh, concerning. Um, have you just noticed that on the second page or so of your notes, um, just to kind of uh, introduce it a bit further, um, this is some information from R.C. Sproul that I'm borrowing clearly from here. And, and the doctrine of assurance answers the question, what we're dealing with, can I know that I'm saved? You know, can I know that I am saved? And, and Sproul points out here that there, there's four positions with respect to this particular doctrine. Uh, the first one is there are people who are unsaved and know they're unsaved. Uh, these people are aware of the enmity they have in their hearts towards God and clearly want nothing to do with Christ as their Savior. Uh, they're bold to proclaim that they do not need Christ. Such people are often openly hostile 
uh, to the gospel. And under, under this, this this heading here of people who are unsaved and know they are unsaved, there's really different versions of that. And probably some, you have some people that come to your mind. I know I've shared before many, many years ago, my, my dad wanted me to go in and share with my uncle, who was in his 80s at the time. He was dying of cancer. And so he just wanted me to go and talk to him about his soul. And, and he was not hostile but he, he wanted nothing to do with Christianity. He told me he was just like a, like a tree out there that falls down. And it was kind of discouraging, you know, but I was able to share some things with him. But you've probably talked to people like that that just, they just don't care. They're not interested. And others are more hostile to the gospel. So that's, that's one position. Then another, uh, number two, um, there are people who are saved but do not know they're saved. Uh, these people are actually in a state of grace but uncertain of it, perhaps they're wrestling with sin in their lives and, and, and doubt their own salvation because of a troubled conscience. Uh, in this group are those who have not yet made certain that they are among the elect. And the confession deals with this issue in, in paragraph four. And then a, a third position. And so according to R.C. Sproul, there's those who are saved, but they don't know it. They, they, they are, they're filled with doubt. They're filled with concern. They, they haven't figured out, they haven't made sure that they are the elect yet. They, they're, they're, they just don't know, all right? They're actually saved, but they don't know they're saved, all right? Or they're confused or they're concerned or they're worried. They don't really know, all right? Okay, and then there's a third group. Is people who are saved and know they are saved, and this is the group who are, um, are certain of their election and calling, uh, they have clear and sound understanding of what salvation requires and know they have met the requirements, which would be repentance and faith. They believed in the testimony of the Holy Spirit when he witnessed to their spirits that they are the children of God. In paragraph two, the confession deals with that particular uh, issue. And then number four, there are people um, who are not saved, but confidently believe that they are saved. These people Okay, so now, now, so here's, so you could be saved, but don't think you're saved. Now you could be saved and know you're saved, but you could be lost and think you're saved. <laughs> so you, so, so that, that creates all kinds of problems, right? That someone could be actually lost, but truly believe they're saved. All right, now this, now here's what happens. You take all of these categories. Someone is saved, but they don't know they're saved. Someone is saved and they know they're saved, and someone can be lost but think they're saved, you take all of these categories, and then you have what's typically the evangelical way of handling it is saying, okay, guys, the way to fix this problem is here's the test. Now you go take that test, and you come back. And my thing is that just adds, it's more subjective. It adds more confusion because there's no way that's ever going to work. The only hope is you're saved because of what Jesus did. Nothing to do with what we do, unless I'm going to basically re return to Catholicism and believe that I'm saved because of an infused righteousness that I have to cooperate with. And if I commit these sins, I'm no longer in a state of grace. Okay, on that entire system, but we reject that system. So if we say we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone, then where should my assurance come from? From the finished work of Christ alone. But those categories, they're struggling. And then to me, when we say, here's a test that will take away all of your doubts, that's subjective because who's going to grade the test? You? And then we start we start grading it on a curve. Well, it's, you, you know, you're not going to be perfect as long as you get like a certain, what, subjective standard? So... I, I do agree that there are people who fit those categories 
who struggle, but what's the answer to all of that confusion? Well, I have assurance of salvation without salvation. I, I, the first part of paragraph one deals with, with that. Um, and at least from my own perspective, and this is just you know speculation on, on my part, this is um, a, a real sad category because it's, it's people who believe that they're saved, but they're not saved. And I'm just persuaded because of either believe, easy believism and Arminian theology. There's lots of people in that category. They made a decision for Christ at some point in time. There's no fruit in their life. There's no hungering and thirsting for righteousness. There's no interest in holiness. So there's, I think, probably lots of people in that. that, that that's dangerous. I hope he's not saying people who hold the easy believism who are Arminians are not saved. I, I don't think that's what he means there. I hope he, I hope he doesn't think that. I mean, that would be... Your salvation is if you believe in Calvinism, okay? That's not, and look, I'm very much hold to reform theology, but I would never say that because people's salvation is based off the finished work of Jesus Christ, not making sure they have every theological, you know, every T crossed and every I dotted. Now, I obviously want them and believe we should teach them correct theology, but you got to be real careful. I'm not saying that's what he's saying. It just sounded like, it kind of came a little close. I think he's saying because of easy believism and Arminianism, then, then this gives the idea that, well, I believe in Jesus. Well, they don't have any fruit because they don't have any fruit. Then there's not saved. Once again, salvation is going to be dependent not on the fruit of Christ, which is perfect, but it's going to be dependent on the fruit present in your life. You want to say that my salvation is dependent upon spiritual fruit? I'll say, fine. I'm going to look to the fruit of Christ because he did everything. He, he manifested every spiritual fruit, and all of that is imputed to my account by faith alone. But all right. Easy believism and Arminian theology. There's lots of people in that category. They made a decision for Christ at some point in time. There's no fruit in their life. There's no hungering and thirsting for righteousness. There's no interest in holiness. So there's, I think, probably lots of people in that particular category who do they think they're saved because they made a decision 30 years ago or 10 years ago, but but nothing much has happened since then. So I, I think there's probably many in that See how that works? Hey, there's a lot of people who 10 years ago, they made a profession of faith, but hey, nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. Something's got to happen. All right. So salvation is not based on faith alone. Salvation is based on the presence of works. So my, because my salvation is going to be determined by how many works, how much spiritual fruit shows up in my life. If there's not enough works, if there's not enough spiritual fruit, then it doesn't matter that I have faith. It doesn't matter that I'm trusting in Christ and Christ alone. Because it, it because that's got to produce something. Well, wait a minute. I thought I'm saved by an imputed righteousness, not an infused righteousness. If I'm saved by an infused righteousness, then why am I, if I'm saved by an imputed righteousness, then why am I looking to some kind of infused righteousness to prove that salvation? Because you can't prove the presence of an imputed righteousness by looking to action. If you're looking to action, you're holding to an infused righteousness, which takes us right back to Roman Catholicism. Now, I'm all for saying we should look for fruit. We should look. I, by all, when I say this, we should look for these things in our life. We should desire for this. We should be struggling with this. But you can't say my salvation is based on that. My assurance cannot come from that. That's what I would say. I'm not saying that we shouldn't desire it and want it and look for it, but I'm saying that if I'm saved by an imputed righteousness, then looking to practical manifestations of righteousness 
to prove my salvation makes no sense because I was saved by an imputed. If I was saved by an infused righteousness, then I would look for the manifestation of that righteousness. So it really comes down, do you believe imputed or infused, which is the entire basis of the Protestant Reformation? And as someone who went to a Catholic university working on a degree in Catholic theology, I feel very confident in understanding the Catholic perspective, which sometimes I just hear repeated over and over and over in the non-Catholic world. So, um, yeah, but I, I do understand that we want to, ooh, there's got to be, hey, I mean, you, you, you made a profession 10 years ago. Where's the evidence? I will point to 1 Corinthians. <laughs> Those people clearly are saved because Paul refers to them as babes in Christ, but he's like, you're carnal, you're fleshly, okay? I can't even teach. He didn't say they weren't saved. Particular category. So um, uh, Sproul is helpful from that perspective. And the, the, se the second thing I want to do here by way of introduction, and really the whole time this morning is kind of introduction to this particular chapter, but I want you to just, just kind of give an overview of um, the, the, this particular uh, chapter itself. And so uh, in verse 1, excuse me, chapter, uh, paragraph 1 can be divided into two main sections. Um, the reality of false assurance and the certainty of true assurance. So paragraph 1, two main sections. The reality of false assurance, the certainty of true assurance. So the first part reads, although hypocrites... And other unregenerate men may vainly deceive themselves with false hopes and carnal presumptions of being in the favor of God and a state, excuse me, in the favor of God and a state of salvation. So that would be the reality of false assurance. Then the rest, the certainty of true assurance. Yet such as true, truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love him in sincerity, endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before him, may in this life be certainly assured that they are in a state of grace. And may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, which hope shall never make them ashamed. So, All right, I'm going to stop here and I'm going to do something. Because whenever we talk about false assurance, false assurance, the people can have false assurance. I'm going to give you an example of people who have false assurance. And I want to ask you, when I, when I read this about false assurance, here's what I want you to do. I want you to uh, consider... Um, what these people were looking to or clinging to for their assurance. All right. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give you this scripture. Give me one second. I'm going to look this up because I want you, the one example of false assurance uh, in the Bible. Hang on. All right. Uh, yes. Matthew seven. I'm almost positive is Matthew seven. All right, here we go. Yes. Now here's what I want you to do. Let's say it's possible that someone could have false assurance. They can think they're saved when they are not. I want you to look at the one clear example we have of scripture of people thinking they are saved when they are not. And I want you to ask, what are they looking to? Are they looking to the finished work of Jesus Christ or are they looking to what they do? And look at what we see. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. 
Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of the Father which is in heaven. Now, some will say, well, the only people who are going to get into heaven are those who do the will of the Father. What is the will of the Father? Be ye holy as I am holy. Well, then you're never going to get into heaven. So then we would have to say, well, maybe the will of the Father is that we believe on his Son. Then we could get into heaven because that would be true. All right. But look at this. Here's Here's, here's the example. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. All right, they reference, they acknowledge him as Lord. Well, that, that's got to count for something. They're acknowledging him as Lord. Wait, have we not prophesied in thy name? Wait a minute. They are prophesying. They, they're actually prophesying and preaching in the name of Christ. Uh, have cast out devils. They've literally cast out demons. Wait a minute. And in thy name done many wonderful works. They, they've acknowledged him as Lord. They've preached in his name. They've cast out demons and done many wonderful works. So, so they look to all their actions. And he says, I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. They had all of these good works. So the people who had a false assurance... Look to their works to do so. And guess what we do with people who supposedly have a false assurance? We once again, want we try to fix it by having them look at their works. We will say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. You think you're saved, but I don't think you're saved. You got to look, look, you do this and you do this and you do this and you don't. Well, wait a minute. These people were doing all of these wonderful things and they weren't saved. I think giving, trying to fix people with a false assurance by pointing them to their works is the wrong solution because right here they didn't they, their works wasn't sufficient their works wasn't the the thing that if they looked to their works they would they were convinced that they were saved your salvation is dependent on have you put your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ either that's the basis of our salvation or our works is the basis of our salvation and if you say well there's people out there who think they're saved when they're not saved well, well they need to see how wicked their works are what if their works are good they could still not be saved so meaning your works is not a clear indicator of if someone is saved or not saved you could have Look, theoretically, someone could have bad works and actually be saved because they're trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Someone could have good works and actually not be saved because they're not trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. They are trusting in their own righteousness. Paragraph one, those two main points. Paragraph two, the basis of assurance, the basis of assurance this certainly is not a bare conjectural and probable persuasion grounded upon a fallible hope, but an infallible assurance of faith founded upon the divine truth of the promises of salvation. The inward evidence of those graces unto which these promises are made. Okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop right here for a second. Um, he's reading through this really fast. He's reading through these paragraphs like at lightning speed. And like, I, I don't even know if you're, if you're able to catch it all. I don't know if you're even able to catch it all, but he's going through it relatively quick. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to, I'm going to back this up. How far back? Righteousness, there's no interest in holiness. So there's, I think probably lots of people in that particular category who, do they think they're saved because they made a decision 30 years ago or 10 years ago, but, but nothing much has happened since then. So I, I think there's probably many in that particular category. So, um, all right, we're going to stop right there. We're going to back it up. We're going to stop 
at the six minute, 48 second mark. All right. And then tomorrow we, we will finish this up. I will amplify it a little bit. So it's a little bit louder. And what I'll probably, what I do, may do tomorrow is I may just go back and what I may do tomorrow is go back and just uh, play the first, you know, like five minutes of it without much interruption just to then flow right into it. And we'll just do a, a kind of a little extra long broadcast tonight. But I'm going to stop there because what I think what I may do is may pull up the London Baptist Confession of Faith. And and as he's, I, I, I may I may just have it so that maybe I can read back over it. Look, I, and, and I want to make this very clear. I'm not criticizing him. For example, if you listen to uh, the live broadcast I did earlier today, where I talk about uh, the four four stages or four ways in which we pursue God. It's a, it's a book by A.W. Tozer where it borrows 12 sermons from A.W. Tozer and how there's four different kinds of Christians who pursue God. All right. Well, I read an excerpt from the book and it was about four to five pages long. And when I finished that broadcast, I was furious with myself because I'm like, man, I just, there was a lot of reading and I don't know if I read it clearly. I don't know if I enunciated because sometimes when you're just reading, you know, when you're reading a long seg section, like I'm just going to grab this uh, devotional here, like, uh, like I, I just turned to February the 4th, uh, you know, and if I start reading, you know, to wait on God until his close fellowship with him combined with a quiet patience as we trust him to, uh, him, uh, well, I apologize. Let me read it again. To wait on God entails a close fellowship with him combined with a quiet patience as we trust him to open and close doors of opportunity in ministry. Yet knowing what it means to wait on God and actually applying this truth to our life are two different things. Now I can just read through that and he did the same thing. He read then apologized, backed up. That's why I did it that way because he's just reading it. He's reading through some of this so quickly that it's hard to really grasp what he's saying. Now, he, I, and it sounds like that he handed out notes. So everyone's, I'm assuming, looking at the London Baptist Confession of Faith so he can read through it a little quicker. When you got everyone looking at it, you can kind of just read through it quicker. And then he could just get to his points that he wants to make about it. But for reviewing it like this way or listening to it online, it makes it a little difficult unless you tell everyone, grab a London Baptist Confession of Faith because those paragraphs are filled with I mean, you could break those paragraphs down in the London Baptist Confession of Faith almost by sentence by sentence. Every sentence could almost be a sermon. Every sentence could almost be a podcast episode. So we, I mean, we'll back it up and then let him read it again. And if I need be, if I need to, I will pull up the London Baptist and then I'll stop and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. He, he blew right by this sentence. And then I may read it. Only problem is if I'm not careful then this will turn into me analyzing every sentence of the London Baptist Confession of Faith on the subject of assurance. So I'm going to try not to do that. But if if he if he stops somewhere in it or or emphasizes one section of it, I'll go back and read the whole thing and try to try to add to this. Um, as of right now, though, he's basically it seems like where he really wants to emphasize is that there's people who can have a false assurance. They can think that they're saved when actually they're not. And what I want you to understand is that the one example of people with false assurance are people who were looking to their good works. That's why they thought they were saved. So I'm going to put forth this again. You could have someone 
who doesn't have any good works, but could actually be saved because they're trusting in the absolute finished work of, G- of, of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And you've got the church of Corinth as a good example. They were carnal, fleshly. And then you've got in, in, in 1 Corinthians, that example of someone being judged and all of their works being burnt up, yet they're still saved. I think you have biblical examples of that. I know that that's not the way it should be. That's not the way we want it to be. That's not the way we desire it to be, but it's the case. And I think there are others who think they are saved. So you've got some who could have no really good works yet be saved because guess what? They're, they're trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. You could have someone else who thinks, hey, I'm saved. Look at me. And maybe they're not saved because instead of truly trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, they're trusting in their own righteousness and they're trusting in their own good works. They're like, Lord, Lord, I've, I've confessed you to be Lord. Lord, Lord, look, I've preached. I've cast out demons. I've done, wait, wait, you're not saved because you're not trusting in Christ. You're trusting in yourself. And that the whole example of the two men who go up to pray, Right? I thank thee, God, because he was praying to himself. He went away thinking he he was trusting in his own righteousness and he wasn't justified before God. It was the one who couldn't even look to heaven and like, I'm unworthy. Basically, I'm a sinner. He, because he acknowledged his sin and was putting his hope in God. All right, we'll we'll have to stop there. So we'll, we'll go back. We'll probably start back over tomorrow. I'll amplify it. It'll be easy to amplify it. And then we'll finish this up. I I wanted to press on, but we're already at 53 minutes and it's 11.07 p.m. So who's going to be listening to me at 11.07 p.m.? Probably nobody. Everybody's like, why is he broadcasting at 11.07 p.m.? Let me see. There's probably only a few people. I can, there's only one app I can look at currently to see the numbers. Uh, The other ones, I have to wait until the broadcast is over to see how many people were listening. Yeah, see, like right now, there's only like six people listening and probably five of them have already went to bed. So, all right. Hopefully that was beneficial. Uh, We will finish it. I'll make this a priority to finish this tomorrow. I will make this a priority to finish this tomorrow. I promise you, I will make this a priority. All right. Okay. Thanks for listening. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com newsif at yahoo.com. I do apologize that the audio we were reviewing wasn't as loud as I thought. It started off louder, but as the sermon went on, it seems like he got further and further away from the microphone. Um, it just seemed like, I don't know where the microphone was located, but it wasn't close to his his mouth. So we'll amplify that. It's going gonna, it's gonna to give kind of a lot of the, all the sound of the room is going to be amplified. So it probably is not going to sound great, but I want to, I want to make sure that it's uh, helpful and uh, we can benefit. So that's why we'll go back and play um, the first five minutes tomorrow so that we get everyone on the same page. So sounds good? All right. I hope so. News, if at yahoo.com. News, if at yahoo.com. And uh, well, let's hope tomorrow is a good day of broadcasting. I'm hoping. There's going to be a lot going on tomorrow. I'm hoping it's going to all work out. I'm a little bit concerned, but let's hope that it all works out. Sounds good. All right. News, if at yahoo.com. News, if at yahoo.com. Everyone have a great night. And please, I beg of you, even if you disagree with me, just know when you lay down tonight and you get ready to go to sleep, I hope 
that the only thing that brings you true comfort and hope that if you were to die, you would be in the presence of God is because you are trusting completely in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Because if you look to your life, no matter how good you think it is, it's never good enough for a holy God. I hope tonight that you will look to, I look, I know I'm a sinner, Lord, and I confess that sin, and I make no excuse for that sin. But my assurance this evening is that you sent your son who paid for all of my sins by his shed blood, and his perfect obedience and righteousness has been imputed to me by faith alone. That is my confidence. That is my security. That is my assurance. Everything else is building your house on the sand. And when sin, trial, trouble, difficulty comes, the house is going to crumble because it's only the perfect righteousness of Christ that I can build my house on and it can withstand my own failure and my own sin. I know that's not a perfect use of that passage, but I'm trying to use it to illustrate this, that you can go to bed tonight secure that if you were to die, that you will wake up in the presence of God and you will have eternal life is because you are going to bed resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ that was perfect. He finished it all. Don't look to yourself. Look to him. Thank you for listening. God bless.